This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with him, Pete George, and me, another fan, as apparently I'm I'm listed in the Daily Mail these days. Um, Pete, compliments on your on your Daily Mail article. We will talk about shining a light um, our, uh, the, the the protest at the game from the Blackpool match. But my compliments to you for um, for for shining a light on the issues at our club in in the Daily Mail, even if you uh, couldn't get me a name check. I'll I'll let that one pass, pal. Thanks, mate. Yep. Um and a big thanks to Lewis Steele who contacted me um from the Daily Mail just asking uh, a few questions and and thanks to him for highlighting the issues and a much bigger uh bigger front than than we can really. So I think it's good to for more people to get an understanding of what's going on behind the scenes and why we're where we are. Um, and it kind of came at, at the right time along with the um, Action for Albion group with their action in the Blackpool game. Um, that seemed to be, seemed to work quite well. It was quite obvious viewing it from, from TV that what was happening and the commentators for that um, gave it a mention as well. So yeah, I think we're getting, we're starting to see um, a bit more Albion fans coming together to kind of push the issue. It feels rather like than... there's momentum, doesn't there? It comes al- alongside um, shareholders for Albion backing the asset of community value application today. Um, the club have also said that they that they that they welcome it. Um, but <laughs> I mean, they kind of got to say that at this point. But um, but uh, but um, you know, it's it just feels like a bit of momentum's building. We got pretty much mentioned for the shining a light campaign on. Every channel I saw, every national newspaper, all the all the local and, and national radios, even Sky Sports were talking about it. So it just feels like that finally 
after being kind of ignored for, for for quite a while, where everybody's been going, oh, Albion are fine. They'll just they'll, they'll, they'll be all right. They're just having a bit of a bad patch, or it's Steve Bruce's fault, or whatever. That people people in the wider media are suddenly starting to wake up to the bigger issues surrounding our football club. Yeah, because I think especially under Bruce, it's quite easy for people to just just say it's oh, it's Bruce's fault that they're doing how they're doing because it's kind of that agenda about against Steve Bruce. Um, I mean, judging on the that piece from Elias Burke in The Athletic talking about Bruce's time at the Albion, I think I can actually understand why there's that agenda. But yeah, I mean, it goes much deeper than, than the manager. And I think every Albion fan um, understands that. But it's maybe not as obvious to people that aren't following following Albion closely, like all of us. And huge compliments to the Action for Albion group as well, by the way, because um, I know that they they were only set up really last week. And for them to pull together such a well organized and peaceful protest as that, and I, you know, I was in the I was in the ground, and I, I'm proud to say I had I had my phone camera out as well, um, and you know the the uh, sorry my 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 torch on my phone out as well because it was a peaceful protest but it made a point it looked brilliant in in the stadium um it was it was then followed up by a chant of stand up if you want lie out and pretty much everybody in in the stadium stood up at that point as well it it just it's nice to show that you can that you can make your point and make yourself heard without resorting to public disorder, doesn't it, Pete? Yeah, exactly. The point was um, definitely made. And like I say, I was watching it on TV and um, I kind of forgotten about the plan for it to happen. So I wasn't exactly expecting it at the time. And then, I, I mean, it became, it was just very obvious. Um, so I think it worked. I think people were kind of sceptical about whether, you know, you'd be able to see it with the floodlights on and everything. But yeah, for me, it was it was obvious. It definitely worked. Um, the commentators picked picked up on it, so and it got them talking, mentioning it, and it got Albion fans talking about it, and hopefully it just kind of spreads the word, and people Albion fans start coming together to fight against these issues rather than just kind of sitting quietly and and accepting our kind of fall from from the Premier League and through the Championship, and yeah, the club just kind of falling apart. So it's good to see us coming together. And I think that's the point, isn't it, Pete? Because I, under, I understand where the skeptics are coming from. If you, you know, that that Gao Chunlai is out in China, he's not, he's not even, he's not even local, so impacting him is difficult. And in the end, it comes down to money. And if you, if you can't find somebody with the money to buy the club, then nothing's going to change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I get all of that, and I get the skepticism of people saying, well. Shining a few lights or a few chants or whatever, what difference are they really going to make? Okay, but let me flip that on its head. What harm is it doing? It's making our voice heard. And I, I tell you what, if the, it, it might make all the difference in the world, you never know. Uh, it might, it might, it might give, gather so much momentum and so much scrutiny from the media that it might make all the difference in the world. On the other hand. The only thing it, it it might end up being the only thing that it does is allows us as fans to sleep easy at night, knowing that we did everything that we possibly could to try and raise awareness about our club, even if it makes not a damn bit of difference in uh, in the end of things. It doesn't hurt anything either. And I say, as I said on the last pod, all power to the people doing these things. Where 
where protests are peaceful and don't create disorder, I, uh, I for one will uh, will will partake in them because, you know, I'm I'm not getting involved in anything that uh, that that you know creates danger or issues for um uh like and, and puts people in any sort of jeopardy or creates any sort of disorder or riots or anything like that i'm not getting involved in anything like that but whilst it's things like shining a light i will participate because my personal opinion is it doesn't hurt me to take my camera phone out and turn my torch on for 60 seconds of a game and create a bit of a spectacle and make a point that I, as a, as a supporter, want to be heard about my, out my, about my club. And at the end, and there's, you know, there is only so much I, as one football fan, can do. But do you know what? I can go home at night and sleep easy knowing that I, have, as an individual, have taken a stand against the ownership of my club, which I don't believe is acting in its best interests, and I want that to change. So... I think at the end of the day, even if you don't believe that it's going to necessarily change anything, all I would say to you is, okay, but do you, do you want to feel like you've come together as a group of supporters? Do you want to feel unified? Are you unhappy with life? And if you are, and if the only thing you've got to do is turn your torch on for, for 60 seconds of a game, and if the next protest is just as simple and just as easy as that, I suppose the question to yourself is not why should I partake, but why shouldn't I? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because no matter how sceptical you are about the actual difference it'd make, it's always going to be better than sitting, doing nothing, just grumbling under your breath how much you want to lie out and everything. If fans can take action together, especially, I mean, last night was quite a large number of supporters with the, the lights on, um, if you can grow that even more, if it's the whole stadium doing it, then that just sends yeah, it. Yeah, it felt over mass- half the stadium last night. That's what it felt like to me, Pete. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's difficult to tell because there's quite a few empty seats um, that you could see on the screen on the TV. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a large number. But if you can grow that number to 80, 90% of the stadium, even every fan in the stadium, every Albion fan, then that is going to be a huge message. And I think it'll help. It'll help some somewhere. It'll do something. I mean, it's a million times better than doing nothing and just grumbling under your breath. So, if you want to lie out your club, out the Albion, then even if it is just small, small actions like shining the torch on your phone for a minute, it's better than sitting doing nothing. Couldn't agree more. And and it, and as you say, Pete, if it grows and it grows, it becomes harder and harder to ignore. Let's move on from the off the pitch stuff and move to the on the pitch stuff. And my goodness me, Pete, we have a win to talk about. We've only got a blooming win to go and talk about. How wonderful is this? Now, we're not going to sit here and pretend that last night's uh, game was one that you're going to buy on DVD. And uh, if indeed people even do buy DVDs anymore, I don't think they do. I think that I, I think that's the uh, 39 year old man in me coming out saying things like that. Um, at least I didn't go as far as BHS or VHS or Betamax, but still. Um, and, but it wasn't a it wasn't a classic. It wasn't one for the ages. It wasn't one that will be um, recounted in, in in pubs for years to come. But it was needed, wasn't it, Pete? It was scrappy, but it was needed. Most definitely. And I was, I've been kind of saying that all we need at the minute is just keep a clean sheet for once and, and then see if we can nick something from there just to try and start 
a run, try and start a bit of good form and get those defeats out of the system. And I mean, that's exactly what we did, really. We kept a clean sheet. Blackpool didn't really offer much threat. But nevertheless, we kept that clean sheet. And we managed to nick it from a from a bit of a scrappy corner at the end. And, you know, that sometimes that's all you need. And that gives, gives us the three points. And hopefully we can, you know, build on that further. And then two games before the, the international break. That's the thing, though, isn't it? It's got it's got to be it's got to be a building block to something, Pete. Because you you look at the whole game played really well, and then went and got beat by Derby in the League Cup, and then went two nil down against Huddersfield. And granted, we came back in that game to draw to draw two two, but nonetheless, it kind of like you almost undermine the work that you've done straight away. And then we go and beat Reading. And then go and play appallingly against Bristol City, one of our worst performances of, of the season. And it's almost no good winning these games if you don't follow them up. Now, I'd like to I'd like to clarify that I think QPR are an excellent side, and I am not expecting us to go to Loftus Road and win. But I, I mean, I said to my dad as we were driving home last night, um, Pete, that I mean. No, no, ideal situation, of course, would be nine points from the three games before the before the World Cup. It would send you into the World Cup feeling so much better about the season. But the reality is that you know, given that given that before last night we'd won two games all season, winning three and three is highly unrealistic. But to just go unbeaten, even if we just draw the next two, I know everyone would like us to go and beat Stoke, and given that they're now getting dragged into the sort of mire of, of those clubs in and around the relegation zone, beating Stoke would be massive. But uh, if you said to me, you can just take a point from the next two and go into, go into the international, uh, going into the world cup break unbeaten in three, I'd see that as a, I'm not saying I'd, I'd take that because I do, because you losing to QPR and beating Stoke is actually more points but there's something about if you even if if you draw the next two rather than winning either of them i i feel like we'd have a little bit more momentum because we we'd have just strung three results together where we where we haven't lost yeah i agree with that and um i mean i said on the last the last episode of the pod that i'm not really going to judge corbran on the next at the time three games so the next two games um so if we went and lost both of them i wouldn't be Concerned about Corbran, obviously I'd be concerned about our season because we'd probably be. And you'd probably bottom. be concerned about the the mental state of the players again, wouldn't you? Because because last night could be a boost to their confidence. But if we were to then go and lose the next two, you'd feel like we were we were back to where we were before we played Blackpool last night. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, yeah, I might be judging the confidence and the mentality of the players, but. I wouldn't be questioning Corbran because, I mean, he's still very early days and that international break is going to be a long period where he can work with the players and just, you know, kind of implement his ideas on the training pitch and then hopefully after the international break we can see exactly what Corbran's trying to do and that, you know, shows itself on the pitch. I mean, if we can go and beat him in the next season, that'd be, I'd be, yeah, I'd be very happy with that just because it's kind of the start of something. I mean, if that does happen, we're probably going to be annoyed about the timing of the international break because, you know, we might be starting to go on a run. But, you know, at the minute we need points, really. Um, That's where we are. We're in the relegation zone, so we need points. But 
I don't think the next two games will make or break our season because of that long break after them. Uh, the Blackpool game was must win though, wasn't it? I mean, because you say that the next two won't make or break our season. I tend to agree with that. And if you lose to QPR, who've been very good this season, it's not the end of the world. I think if you write off a game at home to Blackpool with anything less than three points in the situation we're in, where we were on 14 points from 17 games before before last night, I think that would have been disaster. And it was must win and we did win. Yeah, the three points will be massive. Um especially when teams are around us have got games in hand. Um, so it'll be, yeah, I think they were very important to get that win, um, especially when Blackpool came and set up the way that they did. They didn't really look like they wanted to attack us too much. They wanted to be compact and solid defensively. And to be fair to them, they were for most of the game. Um, but yeah, they didn't seem to want to come to the Hawthorns and really push for the win. Um, so it was kind of a game that we did need to win. And um, those three points will definitely help, as I say. And hopefully it gives a bit of confidence to the group um, and gives Corbrand something to, to work with in the next two. How much impact can you see from Corbrand at the moment? It's only been a week. We can only expect so much. And it's only been a week where he's actually had to play two games as well. So it's it, it's very difficult for him to have had any real impact yet. It, it's hard. It's hard to judge us in a defensive sense because, uh, because as you say, the, the Blackpool offered next to nothing going forward. Four shots in the game, zero on target, and to be honest, that wasn't necessarily through, uh, through great levels of defending on our part. It was. It was due to the fact that they really didn't show much ambition in the game. That being said, I did think we actually looked more solid with actual centre backs at centre back. He dropped. He dropped the defensive line a few yards further down the pitch because he knows Bartley and O'Shea have got no pace, and they won everything in the air, which is important when you've got Gary. M- Medina up against uh, up against you, so I saw a bit of a tactical switch there. He played into the strengths of our centre halves, which I thought was nice. And as I say, I'm not going to get too carried away on the defensive side of things because, um, because because you know th- that's we're going to come up against much more threatening opposition than than Blackpool, and that's that will be the real. Te- I mean, to be honest, Saturday will be a real test. QPR will come and have a go against us, and and I think we'll find out on Saturday how how well drilled he's actually got this defence. But I thought going forward, whilst there was still some of uh, some of the old Albion slow, slow, sideways, sideways, almost like watching a rugby game at times where we just go across one side of the pitch and back across to the other and uh, and and there's no there's no pace to the build up and there, there's no there's no there doesn't feel like there's any real threat there. That happened at times, but I thought we actually moved it through the thirds a lot lot quicker last night and I thought he got the best out of a a number of people which we haven't been getting the best of we'll talk individuals in in a minute but I thought his system where I've where I've looked at us in recent weeks and I've seen a lot of square pegs in round holes a lot of fullbacks at centre half a lot of players out of position I felt and you know John Swift has looked like like a lost little boy at times I'm afraid you know just wandering around not not finding not finding an actual home in this team I looked at looked at it last night and I thought yeah actually to be fair your fullbacks are fullbacks your centre halves are centre halves your your wide men generally a wide a wide men 
Swift obviously drifting out there, but actually getting the opportunity to have a bit more of a free role. Okay, we've still got a problem with the nine. There's no two ways about that, but Corbran can't magic one out of out of thin air. Bit surprised he didn't play Brandon Thomas Asante last night, who I thought was excellent when he when he came on. But he's obviously got his reasons for for picking Grant. I can't personally say I agree with them, whatever they are, because I don't think Grant's a nine. Um, and I wasn't. But even then, Corbran spotted that, and second half shifted Grant out to the left and put Phillips very much as uh, as the target man striker. And I thought there's a real kind of element with Corbran here of horses for courses. Let's get players in their best position. And my biggest problem with Albion over the, over the last four or five weeks, uh, since, since really I felt Bruce lost his bottle a little bit and went away from a system that actually I thought was serving us reasonably well. We were just drawing too many games, but we were playing okay. And then he started tinkering and messing about with it. And, I didn't really know what he was doing and he started playing players way out of position. And, and to be honest, you know, I felt in the, in, in, in the last game, Beale had, he, he it, there was maybe an element of that as well. Um, and Corbran, I felt, I felt against Sheffield United, there was an element of that. Probably not the case with Beale, actually, that's probably unfair, but I felt Corbran tinkered too much against Sheffield United. And, but this was players in their best positions and it was refreshing. And the the shape was quite interesting, actually, because, I mean, the only real width that we consistently had was from the fullbacks. I think the rest of the, I think a lot of the play was very central, um, which is something that we haven't seen. Um, We didn't see under Bruce much. We largely used the wings for moving the ball up the field as well as trying to create chances in the final third. Um, That was, it was very central focused um, against Blackpool. I mean, even like, Grant and Swift, they were often dropping quite deep and receiving passes from the centre-backs. And for me, that's probably why Grant played, because he Corbran, it seemed like an instruction for Grant to kind of drop deep sometimes and just be the free man to receive a pass off the centre-backs. And he's probably a bit more technically sound than um, Thomas Asante is for doing stuff like that. Um, and it was quite interesting that the, the wide men, Wallace and Phillips, were the two most advanced players. They were higher up than... And Swift and Grant, who were kind of playing playing level. I mean, if you look at the shape with the average positions, it's almost like a, a four two four, uh, with Swift and Grant as strikers, but deeper than the, the wingers were. Um, and the same with Yokuzlu and Gardner Hickman; they were both very central and very close and very level. So I think it was a real focus on trying to play in central areas, which, as I say, is something that we've not really seen, um, and getting those the wide players in Wallace and Phillips forwards as well. So we've got men in the box and, and that they're an actual threat. Um, so I think there's definitely changes that we're seeing from, from previous games. And I think last um, against Blackpool, there was a real uh, shape kind of starting to take place. I mean, it's probably easier to see when you are dominating the game like we did against Blackpool. They didn't really offer much. We kept the ball for large periods. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see whether that's something that we uh, stick with or whether we're still trying to figure out what is the best. Well, I don't shape. know. 
I don't know whether you heard Corbrand's comments on WM after the game, Pete. But he, um, to be fair, given that you, given that you're Lincoln based, probably un- <laughs> un- unlikely you probably don't get WM uh, there. But um, but he he said uh, he quite openly said that um, it will be a very different game against uh, against QPR. That they won't let us dominate the ball like that. That we that that they won't sit in against us. And I thought, how refreshing is that? That a manager's already thinking, I can't play the same way against Blackpool as I did against QPR because we've said this a few times this season. You, you think back, you think back to the Birmingham game where Bruce has lost a Jai against Wigan and he still plays the same high line with Bartley and O'Shea as, uh, as centre halves. He doesn't, he just doesn't make a plan for. Uh, he didn't make a plan for individual teams, did he? A lot of the time, he made a. He occasionally made a plan for individual games, like setting us up solid against Norwich and setting us up solid against Luton. But I didn't feel like it was a plan for the opposition, more so a plan for the situation in which our season found itself, i.e. we just needed to get a clean sheet against Luton, so he set us up to do that. I feel like Corbran will look at the opposition and he will plan based upon uh, based upon them and he will try to build an Albion side that that he thinks can beat that team. And I think we could well look quite different week from week. What do you think? That's one of the things that was kind of highlighted by multiple people when he was appointed, that he was quite, um, he liked to analyse games and oppositions and really kind of get a, get stuck into the preparations of the next game rather than just setting up a team and having that set up for, for every game. He seems quite adaptable in trying to, you know, set up a di- different team or a different adjust tactics to depending on who you're playing in the next game which I'm hearing is... as well he works some seriously long hours I'm hearing from the training ground he's there at like half five six o'clock half past six which some people might who work long hours might think oh those aren't long hours believe me I've worked with a lot of managers and there's, there's I'm not going to start naming names because by naming the ones who spent a long time at the training ground I'd be revealing the ones who didn't but I can tell you right now there's only a couple in the I think the eight managers I work with who were who, who were regularly there beyond sort of four o'clock yeah I mean it's gonna gonna be tiring for him, but it'll hopefully benefit benefit us. I mean, if if he's anything like Bielsa, then he, you know he's a football obsessive and and wants to get every tiny detail right. Which, based on going back to that article that I've already mentioned from Elias Burke, is not exactly the same as what Bruce was. He seemed to to not have that, not going to that level of detail. But you know, Corbran, if he is working those long hours and is what people describe as very um, adaptable and, and focusing on you know that real deep analysis of oppositions and as well, well of oppositions and Albion performances and then adjusting um, tactics to kind of fix any issues that he's seen or exploit any any weaknesses of the opposition that he's identified. Then um, you know we could see real rewards from that um, and hopefully. It'll fix the the big issue that we've had so far this season of conceding in the first fifteen minutes of games. I mean, I don't see how if you work with Marcelo Bielsa, you can be anything but a football obsessive. I was listening to listening to um, a, a podcast with with a very uh, well renowned um, uh, international football journalist, and who who said that um, Bielsa, when he can't sleep, um, he he goes for a walk and he puts on um, puts on a 
a, a recording that he's got, which just literally talks through every football formation that that, that they can think of, um, and he just walks around walks around where he lives, listening to that. I mean, um, I, I don't know, Pete, but some some reason I can just I can just see you carrying out similar behaviour. I don't know why. <laughs> well, I mean, I wouldn't mind a uh, job at the Albion, but I'm I'm not sure I'll be able to. Uh... Do it such a role of Bielsa or Corbram, but no, I mean, if he is anything like Bielsa in that respect, then I think we are going to see the benefits from it because it's it seems to be from you know two polar opposites of of people that really want to to learn and understand every detail of of the game. It's it's a nice switch from from what we've had in our previous manager, but you know, I think I think you know only time will tell, and we'll see it on the on the pitch and and hopefully in the lead table if if that is the case and fingers crossed we can can be moving up it. Let's talk about a few individual players now, Pete. I, I did I did give him a little mention a moment ago, but I want to do a little bit more of a drill down on him. Let's start off with Matt Phillips, who I thought was excellent against Blackpool and to be honest I think has been pretty decent for a few weeks I said after the Sheffield United game that I felt he was one of the few that came out of it with with any real credit I thought he was decent against Sheffield United I wouldn't go as far as good because I didn't feel like anybody was good against Sheffield but he was he was very good against Reading scored a really really good goal and I, to be honest I thought he 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 was about the only one who offered a real threat against Luton in the, in that system as well as it, when he was played as played as a right wing back and he's proved massively adaptable as well he's uh, he's played as a 9 as a 10 as a right wing back he's played on both sort of like both wide forward positions pretty much in the last four or five weeks i mean first of all Pete why why is it so hard to get the best out of Matt Phillips? Because when you see him last night, you think, "All right, Matt, but this is why this is why people climb the walls about you because where you know you've been at the club how long now? Uh, you know, years and years. We we must be on eight nine years. Matt Phillips has been at this football club. We don't we don't see that anywhere near often enough. We don't we don't see that level of ability, that level of quality." that level of commitment even often enough. And yet when he puts it in, he's got to be one of the better players in this division. He was, and I thought last night it, it showed him up for what he, for, for, for the qualities that he has, because he starts the game out wide on the left and he causes them all sorts of problems from that position, running at people, beating people. Then he starts, he starts the second half and he's sort of like he's he's kind of backing Carlin Grant up, and he's drifting all over the show, and he's he's doing a lot of runs down that right hand channel, and then he's now getting getting to the byline a little bit more, whereas before he was checking back and causing problems, and he causes them problems from that position, and then as Grant started to really struggle in the nine position, Corbrand switches him across to be the centre forward. And next thing I know, he's holding holding the ball up. He's bringing others into play. He's being a real focal point for our attack. And I'm thinking, where's this bloke every week? Because in terms of attacking play last night, there wasn't a lot he didn't do. But I just don't understand why we don't see it week in, week out. It drives me crackers. Because I looked at, I, I looked at his seasonal stats after after 
I had a look at his stats for last night. His last, stats from last night are good, but his seasonal stats are absolutely nothing to write home about at all. And you think, Matty, come on, give us this consistency week in, week out. Yeah, that's the, the key word, really, isn't it? Consistency that we don't really see enough of with Phillips. And I think that's been the case for you know a number of years, um, even when he was at his best for it. So he'd often go through periods where he'd be scoring like every every game for five games in a row, and then the next five or ten games he wouldn't do a thing, and he wouldn't be able to beat a man, he wouldn't be able to complete a cross. His shots would just go blazing over the bar. Um, so it's yeah, he seems to have these real highs and and real lows as well, and there's just not a level of consistency there. Um, but if he Tony Pulis once alluded to his to his mental state and said, you know, Matt Phillips is is a player that you know will will lose. He basically suggested that Matt Phillips was a player that would lose confidence very very easily and was a difficult one to pick up. Do you, do you think it's a mentality issue with Matt Phillips? Yeah, it could well be. I mean, that would kind of explain the the highs and the lows that when he is in good form and you know he feels he's in good forms and and that kind of breeds more of that those good performances. Um, but then, you know, you get the opposite when he's feeling like he's out of form, he's nothing's going right for him. And then he's probably in his own head about it. And, and that's not helping the situation. So I think it's, if that is the case and it's, you know, it's a critical one for the manager, you know, you need to get it right. You need to make sure he's high on confidence. And, and if he's not, then you've got to make the decision whether you're better off leaving him out of the squad and trying to rebuild that confidence somehow, or, are you better off keeping him in and giving him the chance in the squad to to build that confidence? So I think it's a tricky one, but hopefully at the minute we're starting to see him high on confidence and hopefully these decent performances that he's putting in can turn into even better ones and then we can keep that going if we can put a run of games together. And just moving on to another player, and I think probably most people's man of the match from, from last night was okay, Yukoslu and... Not because he scored the goal. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he could hardly miss, could he? I tell you what. I mean, we've we've we've. Um, I, I've been a bit frustrated with with Yukoslu's finishing this season. He had a couple of great chances at Huddersfield, in particular, that 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 I remember. Um, and he just uh, he 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 just couldn't put them away. I tell you what, he's deadly from that range, three yards out with the keeper on the floor. You're like ab- absolute class. You could, you can't fault him. Um, but uh, no, it's not about the goal with Yukoslu. It, it's it 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 was about everything that he did in in that game. I uh, because the issue with Yukoslu clearly to a certain extent has been that he's not fully fit. He, you know, and this is. Um, so, as somebody on the radio, I, I think it was I think it was Daz Hale on WM said there's been some criticism of Yukoslu's fitness. I, I'd like to clarify this. When I say Yukoslu's fit, I'm not criticizing his fitness. He wasn't given a preseason because the club that he was at wasn't interested in giving him preseason games because they weren't interested in, in in him. In fact, no, sorry, he'd left the club, so he, he didn't have a club to play preseason games with. So that's not a criticism of Yukoslu. He can't he can't magic up a football club to play for. It's just plain and simply he hasn't had preseason, so therefore he's behind other players. That's not a criticism of him. But and I think we do need to manage his minutes quite gently because he started off really well. He burnt out. He looked really bad for a few games. He's come out the side for a couple of weeks. 
and just played bits and bobs of minutes off the bench. Then he comes back into the side and he plays like he did last night. And he's tremendous, but I think we've got to manage him as as an individual. But Pete, looking at his performance last night, what struck me, um, he barely gave the ball away. He had the best pass accuracy of any Albion player who completed more than 15 passes, 89.8%. And that was 59 passes he made. Of those, only two were long balls. Now, that for me is massive because one of my big issues with Okay, Yokoslu is that I th- at times I think he overplays. I think he tries to be a little bit more than what he is. But I tell you what, when he keeps it simple, like he did last night, there's no living with him, is there? You mentioned his pass accuracy of about 90%. Um, you know, that was with a high number of passes. That was, as you say, 59 passes. But the other thing was that what he's quite often lacked and I've questioned his ability to do is, is progress the ball forward and pass forwards. Um, but he t- attempted seven progressive passes last night and he completed six of them. So that's a, you know, an accuracy of about 86%. And if you compare that to the, the squad average for last night, which was uh, 39%, it's, you know, it's really impressive. And he was able to move the ball forward accurately and, does that come back to what you said before, though, Pete, about us playing a bit narrow with the midfielders, Grant or Phillips or whoever was in the nine coming a little bit deeper? Do you think that possibly is because he had more options than he would have had under Bruce? Yeah, I think so. And they were quite often relatively short passes. Um, they've got to be of a certain distance for them to count as progressive, but they were probably not far off that that limit. So he was kind of not just going long and aimless and it was more um, intricate and a lot of them were, well, I think uh, all of them were kind of into the the half space areas rather than out wide or directly central. But I mean, that's a, that's a useful area to have the ball and then you can kind of attack centrally rather than being forced out wide like we have been in in previous weeks. Um, And it was also the, the second highest, number of progressive passes in the squad the only hire was was Dara O'Shea but so you know he was he was much better on the ball than what we've seen of him I think and not only just more secure on the ball but able to pass it forwards and do that accurately as well so in terms of passing it was a a really impressive performance and and hopefully it is to do with the fact that we were a bit narrower um, you know strikers dropping deeper and probably a bit more rotation in those areas to free up free up players to pass to. So hopefully that's a, a system thing that's that's improved his performance there. Um but he was also, you know, solid defensively. I think he he won all his headers in the middle of the park. I think the only the only aerial duel he lost last night was in the opposition box, which, you know, isn't a big deal. I'd rather um you know, I'm very happy that he won all the ones in, in the middle of the park, probably long balls from their goalkeeper or something, but you know, we helped us be secure at the back um, and also kept the ball well and helped us move forward with the ball really well. Well, that's massive as well because because they were pressing Palmer to try and stop us playing out from the back, which means he's got to go long somewhere, Palmer. Yeah, and I mean, it's been one of his Jokic's strengths. You look at the data for previous seasons, previous clubs, he's always been good in the air, winning aerial duels. Um, So, you know, that was never really in question. But it's it's good to see that it is 
carrying on and, and we have got that aerial presence in the middle of the park. A couple of things on his goal. I mean, as I say, a, a screamer from all of a, a couple of yards. But I mean, first, first of all, all joking aside, you've got to be in there to do that. And I thought... First of all, very nice to see a score from a, from a set piece. And it was one that was worked. Darnell Furlong's made a very deliberate run across the, across the front of the, the, the defender. He's won, he's won the first ball. Okay. It's obvious that Darnell Furlong's header is supposed to be supposed to go in, in the goal rather than hit Tom Rockich five yards out and, uh, and bounce for, for your cost I can't believe Tom Rogic, by the way, according to all the data suppliers, gets an assist for the ball for blocking a goal bound shot with his back just because it falls for your cost and gets tapped in. I mean, that, that is what, when we, when we say there's lies, damn lies and statistics, your cost, uh, sorry, your Rogic picking up a, picking up an assist for that is absolutely ridiculous. Because I actually think uh, probably Darnell's original header would have gone in the back of the net if it hadn't hit Rogic. But I think it's just nice to see us work a set piece because one of the big criticisms and frustrations that a lot of Albion fans have had this season is that we have had a lot of set places, set plays. And they've been wasted. And one of the big hopes when Corbrand came in, given how uh, proficient his his Huddersfield side were at set plays was that he was going to make us a lot better at that. And I think, I think we were starting to see the, see the fruits of that a little bit last night. Yeah. Hopefully it's something that can continue because we've actually had the most corners per game so far in the league. Um, So it's, it's something that can be used as in a, you know, a real approach to score goals. But I think what was, what was really important that I noticed from that was that, um, Yakuzhli was really, you could see a lot of desire for him to, to get to that back post even after the shot had been taken. So, you know, he was looking for, for rebounds or to tap it in at the back post. And he, you know, he shoved past his marker and, and you could see that he was desperate to get to that back post to, to make sure the ball ended up in the back of the net. And I think quite often this season we've seen players that haven't really been, um, gambling in the box or desperate to get on the, the end of the ball and make sure it gets into the back of the net. So it wasn't really well, and the desire from Darnell Furlong to get across the front post and win uh, and win that first header, Pete. And I, it, it, anybody watches the goal back, it's worth noting, like because um, I was in the Brummie and it was right in front of me. Darnell, after the ball's gone in the back of the net, just lies arms spread in like a in like a star position, just flat on uh, on on the floor, just like. So, like letting the relief out of him, you can see him just bang the floor in delight. Like, like he doesn't get up and start running around and celebrating in front of the crowd. It was just like this release of energy where finally, finally, something that we've worked on has come off. Finally, a run that I've made has 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 borne fruit, and I just felt there was you know that desire from everybody to make that goal happen, and and you could see that it wasn't. It wasn't almost elation from the players. It was relief, wasn't it, when the goal went in? Yeah, and I think desire is probably the key word for that that corner. Um, it, I'm not sure it was something that was intricately planned on the training ground and kind of worked in the perf exactly how it was planned. I'd be very surprised because otherwise I can't believe Rogic would have got in the way of that, that initial shot. But players wanted to win the header, win the first header and then gamble at that back post to tap it in and and you know that's down to 
desire and and kind of um, aggression in attacking the ball, which is, you know, we kind of lacked for a lot of the season. So if we can mix that in with some real set piece, set piece planning and preparation there and have have routines that we can work on then, as well as having the most corners in each game um, of the league, then it's something that hopefully we can see a few more goals coming from. While we're on the subject of corners, corners obviously being crosses, Pete, we did have a question during the week from uh, from the Rainbow Stand on Twitter, who asked you about the the, the crossing data, and I think I think you've done a bit of a bit of research for the Rainbow Stand there. Yeah, so in terms of crosses, we've we've had the most um, per game in the league. We've averaged twenty point three crosses per game, um, and that's by far the most. Actually, the next highest in the league is sixteen point nine, and then there's quite a few quite a few teams around the 16 mark. Um, so, yeah, we're by far the most active in terms of crossing. And the accuracy isn't really that bad. We complete 34% of crosses, which probably doesn't seem great, but um, that ranks us ninth in the league. And I think the highest accuracy was about 36 37%, so we're not miles off that. I think crosses just aren't completed that regularly. And... You know, I, I looked at headed shots as well because that's probably an indication of of how well we're crossing and we're third highest for them. But the fact that we've probably com- completed the most crosses per game but have the third highest number of headed shots per game, it probably indicates that a lot of the crosses aren't actual actually aerial crosses and, and are quite low ones. And that's probably not a bad plan when we've quite often got Granite as the striker and, you know, he likes to make that run across the the near post, um, probably a good area to score goals from. But for memory, we quite often see them, you know, flashing across the face of goal, and no one being at that back post to to tap them in. And if somebody was Which there, which makes then, a makes a good cross look bad, really, doesn't it? Yeah, and if we got someone there, then you know they're they're potentially easy tap-ins and easy goals to score. So I think that's something that Corbrand's got to make sure happens if we are getting crosses across the face of goal that end up at that back post and we need someone there to to tap it in at that back post. Well, 25 crosses again last night as well, Pete. So it doesn't seem like Corbran is looking for a different avenue of approach. He probably, as we said about the desire to win the ball on the corner, he probably just wants more desire from the players in the middle, doesn't he? Yeah, and when you've got players like Jed Wallace crossing the ball, I don't think there's any reason to to not use that because that's probably one of his, his biggest strengths is, is his ability to cross. And I mean... Matt Phillips as well, when he's on his game, he's a good crosser of the ball. So, yeah, we're probably going to stick with that. But it's about getting numbers in the box. We've mentioned that before under Bruce that quite often we'd only have one man in the box to cross to. Um, Needs to get more numbers in the box and in the right areas as well so that, you know, we've got, as I say, Grant likes to attack that front post quite often, getting around the the defender and just kind of glancing it in, Um, as well as having people at the at the back post, whether that's the wingers or the, you know, the fullbacks really getting high. But John Swift always is quite often making that late run onto the penalty spot, which is a dangerous position. So, yeah, I think obviously we want to carry on with the crosses and and keep them coming in when we've got quality like Jed Wallace. But it's just about getting men into the right areas to to finish off those crosses and and put the ball in the back of the net from them. 
You never know. We might have DK back on the end of them soon as well, which would be very, very nice. Just what you mentioned John Swift there, and I, I wanted to come to him, not least because he follows on nicely from the crossing conversation because he actually put the most crosses in last night of any West Bromwich Albion player with nine. Um, also, four key passes, two shots, and won the most fouls in our team with, with three. So much more involved, wasn't he, John Swift? And as as, as I as I said earlier in the pod at times this season to use a use an Andy Tate uh, quote he's looked like a kid lost in a shopping center at times in our team and it's frustrating with John Swift that we haven't been able we know he's a good player and anybody who thinks he's not a good player needs to go back and look at how he played for how he played for Reading he's a good player we've just used him poorly up to this point is the signs from last night, given you look at the data and how much more involved he was in the game, that Corbran is perhaps finding a way to get the best out of John Swift? And, and that it's something that he's targeted as well, as he knows he needs to get the best out of this guy. I think so, because, as you say, we know he's a, he's a very good player at this level. So I think Corbran would be foolish to not try and get the best out of him and use him. I think... As I mentioned earlier, he was very much level in terms of height on the pitch with Grant, so it almost looked like a, a front two that were also willing to drop in deeper to pick up the ball. Um, you know, and when you look at where John Swift received his passes, seven of them were progressive passes. Um, three of them were in zone 14, which is that area right outside the penalty box and central area, kind of in and around the D, um, which is you know a really threatening play. And, really threatening area and one where you want your best players, your creative players to kind of get the ball. And he, he received two in the box as well. So I think that's really important that he's getting passes in good areas rather than just drifting wide, as we've seen with him quite a bit this season. So we, I think Corbran kind of wanted him operating a lot more centrally, close to Grant than he has done in the past. You know, he, he when he was out on the, there were times in the game where he did drift to the left and he was trying to get crosses in into dangerous areas in terms of his passing there's probably a bit more that to be desired from it than than what he showed last night um i think it was decent but but nothing special um i think it was more about where he received the ball and and what he did with it then he had that good chance as well um probably our best chance in the game other than the goal it's just a shame that he couldn't put it into the back of the net but yeah i think he looks he looks better in this central um role where he's almost a striker and then just while we're on the subject, I mean, we've pretty much covered most of the midfield and forward, so I might as well finish off with just a little bit on Taylor Gardner-Hickman. Nice to see him playing central midfield again, and I, it seems like that is a position that Corbrand trusts him in because he, he didn't he didn't look to bring him off. He obviously values the, the qualities that Taylor brings to that position, and I, I tend to agree with him. I don't think there's anybody else in the squad that can do what Taylor does, and I think you get more out of the likes of Malumbi, Livermore or Yukosli, whichever one of those three is alongside him, if you've got Taylor in there. But Pete, just a little thing that I've noticed in the last couple of games, and it's a little thing at the moment because we didn't concede a goal either time it's happened, but it will be a big thing if we start conceding goals from it, is that Taylor just has this thing at the moment where he seems to think he's got a little bit more time on the ball than he has. He's had his pocket picked in. He had his pocket picked against Sheffield United and they ran clear and nearly scored. And then he had his pocket picked last night. And we, uh, I, th- I think it was um, Daro Shea dragged the player down for a booking, um, which also, by the way, very, very good to see us take a booking like that because 
that that was one of the things where I was very critical of us after the Sheffield United game that I said we were too nice and we we could have took a booking uh, for the second goal and brought and die down at any point and we didn't. It was nice to see Dara unceremoniously just go, nope, you will not go any further. I'll take the yellow card here. I don't even care. And Bosch, you're going to ground. But... Taylor's just, I, I really like him in that position and I want it to be his position going forward. But I think th- there's just got to be a, there's got to be a realization from him that he hasn't got as much time in that position on the ball as he would have at right back. Because if he, he's got away with it twice now, getting his, getting his pocket picked in central midfield, I wouldn't like to see us try and get away with it a third time. No. And if he does and he gets caught in possession and, and it leads to a goal, then you know, he's going to get a lot of stick from from the fans. Um, so it's better to try and, you know, resolve that issue before it actually ends in, in a goal and, and causes, you know, upset. But it was, you know, in terms of on the ball, apart from getting his pocket picked a couple of times, um, he was pretty secure in his passing. I don't think he tried as much as Yakuzli did. And for me, it was kind of a surprise because I think Gardner Hickman was kind of just moving the ball from side to side from wing to wing and doing it, you know, pretty successfully. He had a he had a high passing accuracy as well. So that's obviously important that you two central midfielders can can keep the ball, especially in a game um like like against Blackpool where you kind of dominate in the ball and possession you you need them to be able to just uh be secure in their passing. Uh but he didn't he didn't attempt too much in terms of progressive passing or dangerous passing I think there was maybe two passes that he completed into the into the box but apart from that I don't know just just the one that he completed into the box to John Swift but you know he was as I say secure in his passing um, made a couple of tackles um, so overall a decent game for me and you know it's good to see that he's he's getting time in midfield where he struggled for minutes under Bruce but hopefully we can see him develop even further. And just one little mention for Brandon Thomas Sante, who came off the bench and, and, and we scored not long after he did come off the bench. So the majority of his job was largely to buffet off defenders and try and hold the ball in the corner and run down the clock. And it, it would be very easy for a forward player to look a bit disgruntled about you know, coming onto the pitch and not really having an opportunity to do much in an attacking sense. But I have to say, I thought his physicality and his desire to keep the ball, and we've said the word desire a few times, and I think that was one of the things that struck me about Corbrand's Albion last night, was whilst you couldn't pick up on a lot of tactical things that were new, because he hasn't had enough time to to really make a huge difference in that sense, I felt like he'd made a big a big difference in how much they wanted it last night and and Brandon came off the bench for the latter stages of the game and for me just showed the desire to win the game by holding the ball in the corner and it took me a bit back to um uh, to Birmingham at home last year where we 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 saw out like nearly eight minutes, I think it was, down in the corner and just not letting Blues get the ball out. We barely let Blackpool get the ball out. Um, and and that a lot of that was down to Brandon Thomas Asante. And whilst I think there's the, there are drawbacks in terms of he's obviously still learning to, to play this level and he hasn't got the technical quality of others, 
the guy, we say it every week, but the guy's desire to give every, uh, and, and, he, and the way he gives everything for the shirt, I just love to see it, Pete. It's full of energy and, yeah, desire. That seems to be the key word this week. Um, but, yeah, it's it's great to see. Um, he, you can tell he wants to make an impact and get involved and do what he can for the team. Um, so, yeah, that's really promising, um, as well as being able to get into good areas, usually, and get shots off in them. So I think he will score goals given time. Um, and, you know, if he can develop his, his all-round game a bit more and his technical ability, then he's going to be a, you know, a real threat in this league and, and be pushing for that starting place um, and hopefully give good competition to the DK as well when he's back fit. Just to finish off, Pete, obviously QPR coming up this uh, this weekend. And he, as I said, Corbran said it in, in his post-match interview. Uh, his, I think his exact words were a very, very different test this weekend. Um, QPR, of course, at, at time of uh, at time of recording um, on uh, on on Wednesday, prior to the Wednesday Championship games being played, QPR uh, playing Norwich tonight are fourth in the in the table, you know, but a game in hand, so could could in in theory jump as high as second with uh, with a win tonight. So. They're a good side, and they've been they've been a very very good side. Another Beal, of course, doing very very well there, Michael Beal, and that it's going to be an extremely different test. And I think I think we're probably going to find out a lot more about where we are in our development and where and how much more we need to do this weekend at QPR, aren't we? And I think it's fair to say that I think we'd all probably snatch it, snatch anyone's hand off for a point at this at this point. It'll probably tell us a bit more about how we're developing defensively under Corbran as well. You know, we've said we've already said that Blackpool wasn't too much of a test for the, the defensive side of our game, but QPR will likely want to push for three points against us. So I think we'll learn a lot from that, and it'll be interesting whether we can, uh, you know, limit them, limit QPR to to very few chances like we did against Blackpool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting as well to see how Corbyn sets up and whether it's any different in terms of shape or uh, uh, just kind of how we're looking to, to build up, how we're looking to attack than we did against Blackpool because, as he's already said, it's a very different game. And, yeah, I'll be interested to see what kind of tweaks he makes um, and how he does adjust his tactics to, to different oppositions. And we, re- we we wait and see. Well, that's it for today. Um, as As I said at the end of the last pod, little bit of a different schedule to these pods. The reason that we're, we're recording after the Blackpool game and it's fallen as a look as a happy coincidence that we've won the Blackpool game. So it gives us a victory to talk about. Um, it is that, uh, Pete is off on his jolly holidays. So unfortunately we won't be able to record after the, after the QPR game. So we will be back again after the Stoke game. So here's hoping that, uh, you never know, could be six more points in the bag before we speak to you again. We do live in, in in hope um not necessarily expectation but let's see let's hope that uh, we have at least some points to talk about when we next come on air and that uh, uh, and that we are going into the world cup break which of course will come after the stoke game in a really positive mood but until then thanks for listening and of the baggies
Robin have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with the McNuggets share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.